Cue the song. Hello there, ladies and gents. Welcome to 1000 Greatest Misses, the music podcast that shines a light on 1000 undiscovered, obscure, and underappreciated songs that hit all the marks but fail to chart. On today's episode, we'll highlight songs by The Broken Hearts, The Pumps, Flyboys, The Features, and Pretty Rough. Find us at 1000greatestmisses.buzzsprout.com or your podcast app of choice. I'm Paul Hines along with Christopher Gray, the music-obsessed record store guy with way too many songs stuck in his head. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Paul. I'm going out over my skis a little bit for today's show. You're what? I'm going out over my skis. Typically... I've never heard that phrase in my life. Where You're a well-read, well-educated person. How could you have never heard about being out over your skis? Maybe that's not something that well-educated people say. Maybe it's you. Well, then it's definitely... That's, are you calling me dumb again? Do I, have to, do I have to go back to the literature that I know? Don't make me... Don't Nick Hornby and the like. Don't make me list books I've read. I can read. No, typically I share songs that I've lived with for 20 or 30 years, and this set is all new to me. Like These are all records that I've bought in the last three months or so. I usually have a list of songs that need to be ripped. I have put a little asterisks by them, ones that I think might be good for the show, and I grabbed five of them and recorded them. And for those of you that want to know the the real inner behind-the-scenes workings of 1,000 Greatest Misses, that's exactly how it works. I pick five songs, I rip them from vinyl, I put them in Dropbox, and then Paul does all the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, so you and I are coming into this episode from sort of a similar mindset. I've heard them maybe, Yeah, kind of. I've heard them for the last week and a half or so, and you've heard them for the last couple months. Yeah, and really only in repetition for the last couple weeks. So we've been working on these, and so they're newer to me. It's cool to find the parts that we like about them, and it's, you know, I think there's a couple of firecrackers in this batch, so don't get me wrong, but I think it's just kind of a different feel than songs that I've lived with for 30 years. So this is fun. It's kind of like when somebody else picks the songs, almost, because then I'm coming at it from a from a newer perspective, kind of like that. I like to mix yeah. things up a bit, Paul. And Peter Kuehl was supposed to do one of these shows and has yet to help us out, my partner at Cheap Kiss Records. So I had to step in with some new stuff. Pete, always coming through for us. I think we need to start an email campaign. That's Pete at Cheap Kiss Records. Subject line, why won't you do 1,000 Greatest Misses? Ask the man. Excellent idea. He'll love that. (laughs) See, that's what happens when you say no to me, Pete. Also, real quick, thanks to Jared Key for the kind words in his email. He is looking for more great radio comps, and aren't we all looking for more great radio comps? He had picked up the loop sampler that we had featured on a couple of different shows. I'm going to send him a more detailed response, but off the top of my head, uh, the loop volume two is pretty solid as well. And some of the... um, Boston-based compilations have seemed to be pretty good. So I'll, I'll put a list together for you, Jared. Thanks again for listening. One question I have is where are these radio comps typically displayed at record stores? Is it under various artists or do they have a dif- different section? Great question. Yeah, I was at a couple of stores last weekend. And yes, various artists is where they would normally be. Although some folks will put them in by the call letters. So like like 
WBCR was under W or KLUL oh, is under K or loop might be under loop. But I went into a store in Peoria, Illinois, which turned out to be a really cool store called Younger Than Yesterday. And I'd seen the store a number of times, just never had the time to stop there or the right timing to stop there, but went in and this place was just packed with records. So many records, Paul. And the young woman that was working there uh, did not know where the various artists were, but we found them together and they had a couple of rows of them. Unfortunately, they had a couple of good copies, but nothing that I needed. It's probably getting hard for you to find ones you need. Yeah, it's kind of weird when you see, oh, that's a really cool one, but I already have that. Like, So they had a number, they probably had five or six that were kind of obscure, and as well as a couple of like the KQX one that's really common, uh, but they just didn't fit the holes in my collection. So, but yes, that's various yeah. artists. And some stores do a great job of that. Like Euclid in St. Louis had a nice pullout drawer full of all their stuff. So I found a bunch of great stuff there. We try and keep that stuff separate by uh, era, like 70s, 80s, 90s comps. Uh, but they're oftentimes overlooked and, and not everybody's looking for them. So they're not super popular. So you, a lot of stores don't devote a lot of floor space to them. I'm heading to Asheville next week, and I hope to hit a couple stores down there and come back with some goodies. I've heard great things about Asheville. I'm sure you will have a ball, and please send pictures of record stores. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like Alice and me on a hiking trail? (laughs) Sure. Well, that that too, I suppose, but yeah, (laughs) that might be weird. Where do you want to kick things off for today's episode? Hartford, Connecticut, of course. This is Broken Hearts, and the song is called You Won't Find Me.
Find Me by The Broken Hearts from 1985 out of Connecticut from their album Want One with a question mark as opposed to Rufus Wainwright's album Want One. The leadoff track. This is an odd song in that they go through this long instrumental chord progression not once but twice before the vocals kick in. It's 40 seconds by the time the vocals hit it. I submit that that goes back to that thing we've talked about before where these bands got so used to playing these songs live and then they went into the studio to record them and then that's always how they did it live so they just never thought to edit that in the production or the pre-production process. It still comes in at less than three minutes so it's not like they're just dragging it out but I wish the vocals had come in sooner. At first I thought it was going to be an instrumental track. Uh, Came out in 1985 on Scarlet Records which is a private label out of Hartford. I was so excited about this one. I found this at Strictly Discs in Madison. And if you take a minute, go look at the cover of this record. It is so good. It it screams power pop. It screams independent release. It screams that I have to listen to it. Really solid songwriting throughout. There's a lot of great songs on this record. And I just literally noticed tonight that this band was led by power pop impresario Michael Mazzarella who in 2010 released a solo record called Soda Pop Gramophone. And I believe he was involved in some other power pop bands in the 90s as well. I just didn't have all the time to pull that. Did you grab anything from that era? I didn't, no. Okay. So I love the song. I love that it sounds alternately like The Jam or Style Council and then like Roy Head a little bit. Uh, There are three songwriters in the band, and the LP spreads those duties out pretty evenly. This one is not a Michael Mazzarella track, but is outstanding just the same. Yeah, I like the chord choices here. It goes from C to F, and then E minor and A minor. E minor is the three chord, and I'm a sucker for that chord. Anytime a chord progression includes that, it really grabs me for some reason. I like that falsetto voice when he goes, ooh, I like it. And the it accompanies that three chord. Um, A one-line chorus, but it works well. Simple tune, less than three minutes. It's a good tune. Is it is it an R and B influence? Like like those background vocals you're talking about almost sound like like the Isley Brothers or something like that. Is that kind of where you're we're getting that from? You think? Yeah, that's not a bad comparison. Yeah, I like it. I think it really works well together, and it really makes this song that much better because they are varying their influences a little bit. Yeah. This record is not easy to find. Even today, it's it's around a $20 record. Uh, again, I was super psyched when I found it. Go check out the front cover, people. It's pretty cool. Fortunately, it is available for streaming. See, now that's odd to me. On Spotify? Yeah, you betcha. It's a tiny little label from 85. Why in the world is this on Spotify, yet certain <laughs> other records like Marshall Crenshaw's debut are not? I don't get it. I want Daniel yeah. Eck to call into the show. <laughs> Anybody, any of you 1K GM faithful that know Daniel Eck and can have him give me a call, I would love to ask him why certain stuff is not on Spotify. Now we're going up to our favorite place, Canada, Winnipeg. <laughs> I love Canada. I am going to go there one of these days. Will you go? Did, did you ever answer my question? Are we going to do a road trip to Toronto this next spring or summer? I think we should. I think we should too. We could write it all off. 
Don't we have a sponsor to pay for that sort of thing? Let's see. Let's see how that goes. Uh, this is a band called The Pumps, and it's a bad font. It's a bad font that mistakenly had me thinking this record was called The Pinups. That's how bad the font was. I read it as Pinups. I had it written down as Pinups. I thought it was Pinups until I actually looked at the record itself and it said Pumps. So this is a song wow. called Bust the TV. TV from their only album, Gotta Move, from 1980. I was listening to the keyboard on here, and it sounds like he's using a, like a slapback delay. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I didn't know if it was something that they had programmed into the the sound on the keyboard or whether they were using an effect to get that yeah. effect. But yeah, it definitely has some delay on there. Uh, Yeah. But then during the verse, it goes, and I tried playing it, and there's no way I can. So I got to believe there was a delay or something there. It sounds like a guitar part by the edge by the time they got through with it. Yeah. It sounds very new wavy at first, but then the pre chorus goes really straight ahead rock. She's always there. It has some disparate sections. That's a fine earworm in the chorus there, the she's always there part. Um, yeah. I think it's firmly planted in new wave territory, even though that it's got a rock chorus. It's a cool arrangement, good sounds being used. The verse reminds me a little bit of split ends, but I think they throw in little elements of Devo. I think they throw in yeah, little sure. elements of the Beatles too, that radio announcer. Um, I like it all. And 
it made me think about the fact that if I was imagining them playing live, I would imagine one of the guys was playing a keytar. Did you ever play a keytar, Paul? I never have. I've seen Joe Jackson play one. Do you have one? Do you own one? I do not. Here's a question. Why is this song called Bust the TV, but during the break they have a radio announcer? Oh, yeah. Why would, well, do we know it's a radio announcer? Could it be a TV announcer that we can't see? I don't see? think so. I don't it think so. It sounds very radio-esque. I think you're right. Why? Maybe that's why. They want to they listen to the radio, so they're okay with busting the TV. I don't know. All I know is they're from Canada, and I like them. I do, too. I like this track a lot. Do, have, do you have the album? Is there other good stuff off of it? There are. I, I ripped five out of the eight songs, and this can be found for three freaking dollars. Well, I paid six for up. my copy at nice. Peter Dunn's Vinyl Museum. And this is available for streaming under the name The Pumps and Orphan. Who's Orphan? <laughs> I was hoping you were going to tell me. I can't do all the work. Uh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I, um, is there a person? Uh, no clue. Who the hell knows, man? Anyways, it's there. Sometimes on Spotify, I will search for a song and put the band name in, and it won't pop up. And if I go through it, kind of like Discogs, if I go through a back channel, some other way, it'll suddenly be there. It's very odd. Yeah, I don't think, uh, according to my my friend Kevin, nobody has the whole search thing figured out perfectly yet. So yeah. it is still kind of a work in progress, even after all these years. Because I agree, you, sometimes you have to search it just right, especially on Discogs. Discogs, if you have one hair wrong, it's not going to show you what you want to see. Next, we go to California with a band called Flyboys. Let's get some punk rock in this mix, shall we? This is So Juvenile by Flyboys. That was So Juvenile by Flyboys from their self-titled EP from 1980. At less than two minutes, this is a snappy little number. 
Yeah, these boys are from California. This came out on the Frontier label. This was their second release on the heels of their debut 7-inch single called Crayon World, which I have yet to hear, but I think might be kind of fun. These guys were founded in 75, so they were like the first wave of American punk. And the cover had me salivating when I found it because I'd never seen it before. All the records that I'd had, and I'd never seen this one before. little punkier than I normally gravitate to. The cover looked like it could be more new wave, but it's it's definitely a little bit more on the punky side. The background vocals, the OOO sealed the deal for me. That's what made it catchy. Um, and the lyric, never do what I'm told, that's why I'm so juvenile. It works. They sell it pretty well. Yeah, that chorus is great. I really like the backup vocals a lot. Uh it's roughly produced. It, it's hard to, I wish it had just sounded a little better. I'm sure it's to no fault of their own, but it, uh, it certainly is not without its allure. Yeah. I mean, 1980 private pressing frontier was a small label, so I'm sure that they didn't have much of a budget on this, but I think that it's very indicative of the time, very indicative of the sound from that. And, uh, I, I do continue to like it. This is also streaming. That's three in a row. Next up, a band from a mystery city and state called The Features with their song, Notices. That was The Features with their song Notices, the leadoff track from their album Up, Up, Side, Side, their only album. 
This one came out in 83 on Swingrite Records, which is a private pressing. It starts out kind of heavy, and then it kind of goes into a little bit of a knack riff with keyboards, and it definitely falls in that new wave genre. The verse, the vocals come in at a little bit of a lower register, but then it kind of really kicks off into the chorus. Well, I wouldn't categorize this as new wave. Really? No. How would, what would you call it? That's rock and roll. Yeah, okay, so even with the keyboards in there, you don't think it's new wave? It's it's rock with a synth. I mean, it's like Loverboy, right? I guess I could hear that aspect of it. To me, Okay, so let me ask you this. Did the vocalist in the chorus remind you of Robin Zander at all? Yes, I, I have it Shaking your down. head. Good, okay, I have cool. it written down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he sings high, he's Robin yeah, Zander. I like that. It's kind of goofy, but I find it incredibly joyful, and it kind of proves to me that there's room for all different kinds of songs and all different kinds of bands in our heads and in our hearts and in our souls, and they don't have to just be heavy metal or punk rock or AOR or power pop. They can be some amalgamation of those things, like that a couple of songs ago when they had that cool little R&B section in it. I, I This is what makes me happy about music and that we can talk about it and introduce people to other stuff. It's also what makes labels a little ridiculous. So we got to talk about this in more detail, but I didn't have any of these labels at my disposal when I was 13 years old. They mm-hmm. didn't exist. We, it's something that record collectors made up in hindsight. Uh, so let's get into that in more detail at some point. Yeah, But put a pin yeah, in this it. is just... This is just a bunch of stuff. It's a song. I'm I'm sure they didn't categorize themselves in any particular way except for a rock band. I think the keys, it's interesting. I'm a keyboard player, and I like that first interlude after the first chorus, the keyboard solo. Okay. But then after the second chorus, I want to hear a guitar solo. Like They really amp up the keys to the extent, like, I'm not quite as interested in that. Keys, for all keys are good at, they're not as expressive as a guitar when it comes to a good solo, at least not in this kind of context. Right, and that's why I thought it leaned a little bit more towards a new wave, because they chose to highlight and showcase the keys a little bit more. Yeah. This could have benefited from a bridge. They go first chorus, first chorus, first chorus. It seems a little redundant, um, but it's a good track. And I think that vocalist, uh, he can he can knock it out of the park. And again, super private pressing. I mean, they, I would probably be surprised if they pressed up more than a few hundred of these. It's a pretty colorful cover. It certainly screams new wave with all the primary colors on it. But again, there's there's a spot for all of this stuff. There's a there's a key for every lock, and gosh darn it, this, this song <laughs> works as a key for me today. <laughs> and lo and behold, who could have guessed we go back up to Canada for our last song today with a band called Pretty Rough. So when I dream of record shopping in Toronto, I imagine records like this by the dozen, just everywhere you look, over in this bin, over in that bin. (laughs) It seems like they were just so prevalent that I have to be able to find more. And how bummed will I be when I get up there and I find that there are no more? Like, I actually found them all from here. And it'll be mostly Brian Adams and Loverboy. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, These guys are from Edmonton. This is Pretty Rough, and she knows the way to my heart.
was pretty rough with their song She Knows the Way to My Heart from 82. They released one more album two years later called Got the Fire. And ironically, there's nothing really rough about this song at all. Yeah, not really. So not a lot of power in this power pop. Um, I do have discovered a new favorite website as a result of this band. When I was looking for information on them, I found it. It's called CanadianBands.com. And they had probably three pages of notes on this band, which was awesome. So I'm definitely oh. going to be back there. But uh, these guys were the brainchild of former Andromeda guitarist Terry Reeves and Curtis Ruptish. And this was recorded at Thunder Road Studios. They toured with Pat Travers and Streetheart. As you mentioned, they had a second album. I think it's a little April Wineish meets Rick Springfield. Not too big of a jump from Prism that we heard a few weeks back. There were a number of songs on this record that I could have chosen for this episode. I chose this one just because it had a little bit of a sweeter chorus and that uh, just stuck out a little bit more than the others, but plenty of good tracks on this record. The best part of the tune is the instrumental part, and I kind of wish they had made it more of a focal point. You know the song um, Thunder Island by Jay Jay Ferguson? Ferguson. Yep, where the uh, chorus is... So that is the hook of that song. It's freaking awesome. And this song has something equally as good with some great hand claps that... I love that. I love that more than anything else about this tune. I think the rest of it is a little bit kind of common, plotting, chord changes, not much interesting happening. But boy, do I love that instrumental part. They just need a guy going doo-doo-doo. Great song. Um, Yeah, like I said, this one plays to all those pop sensibilities in my head. Like I said, the Rick Springfield, the April Wine. Got a good sound to it. Well produced. It's a fine song from 82. And they mix up the chords of the chorus just enough to keep it somewhat interesting. Here they go. She knows the way to my heart. Then the next time they go... They go to the six minor there. Nothing fancy, but it matters. And then they the third the third line of the chorus, they change. They got something different to say, where some bands just rely on the same four phrases. They took our advice. They broke it up a little bit. It's good. It's a it's well executed. Yeah, I like that one. Like I said, two records. I think I have the second record too, but I don't know that anything stood out on that one. So I'll have to double check that. Streaming? Nope. Okay. Um, going back in time, uh, Flyboys was a $40 record. Notices a $12 record. And Pretty Rough from Edmonton is a $10 record. And with that, episode 33 is in the can. Next week, we'll feature songs by... We're going to have a recommendation by Philip Priest of Rolling Meadows, Illinois. Local boy, gotta like that. Uh, Jewels and the Polar Bears. The Backbeats. Photograph. Holland and Fay Ray. For all you listeners out there, we'd love to hear from you. For comments, questions, and corrections, visit us on Facebook at 1000 Greatest Misses, on Twitter at 1000 underscore misses, or on email at 1000 Greatest Misses at gmail.com. Like us, share us. We appreciate your support. Until next time, ladies and gents, that's the end of the show. I met a girl with a record collection. I showered her with love and affection. She turned me on.